And these verses are from uh, Mark chapter 1, and they are verses 14 and 15. Now after John was handed over, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and trust in the gospel. This is God's word. Thanks, Dave. Well, as many of you know, um, my wife and family and I, we spent, lived, served for nearly a decade in the Cayman Islands and overseas, which is a, uh, which is a British territory. Uh, in fact, police, fire, the courts in the Cayman Islands, all of the lead positions were appointed uh, by Her Majesty. And in fact, every government building you would walk into, there would be a picture of the Queen. So... An elder in our church, a wonderful guy, he was honored by the queen with what was known as an OBE, an Order of the British Empire, which is just below, just below being a knight. He and his wife, they love to, to tease me from time to time for being an American. And frankly, I don't blame them. There were some good reasons for that, but uh, I didn't mind it. And his wife one day in particular, she, she asked me, hey, Ryan, why is it that Americans are so obsessed with British royalty. Why are they so obsessed with British royalty? And she asked me this at the time, uh, Prince William and, and Duchess Kate, I think it's Duchess, right? Uh, they had just given birth to their first child, George Alexander Lewis, uh, Prince, Prince George. American friends, she said, and my American friends, they're tracking his, his the, the labor, the birth, every miscellaneous detail that, that could happen for, and they're following it way more closely, way more closely than all of my, my British friends. And as you can probably see here up on the screen, hopefully, has the screen working, guys? Not so much? Okay. <laughs> well, it was fair. Uh, you would see an article from USA Today up here, front page, big, every, everyone was assessed with the, with the birth of uh, Prince George. And as she said this, she, she, kind of, she kind of thought about it a little bit, and she said something I thought that was kind of interesting. She said, I do wonder if there is within each of us an impulse to live under a monarchy. If you, I, I did some research on this. I read up a little bit on the Western obsession with the marriages, the births, uh, the uh, TV shows about royalty. Most sociologists and psychologists use two terms as explanations for this. They talked about fairy tales, and they talked about fantasies, for which we all long. Fairy tales and fantasies of royalty exist because there's some real desire that nothing in this world can quite match. They exist because there's nothing really in this world that quite matches that desire for a royal fantasy fulfilled. That's truly the case. All but four countries in the world claim to be not monarchies, but democracies. They claim, at least, to be democracies. Now, why is this? Uh, why aren't there more kingdoms like we used to read about in yesteryears? I think it's because everyone wants to be a king. <laughs> everyone wants to be king. So one of, the, one, of the, one of the great displays of God's wisdom is that he helped people write the, the Bible 
but he allowed them to do so in a way that would convey their own style, their own emotions, even as they wrote the Bible. And one of the great examples of this is the Old Testament book of Psalms. There are these prayer journals of really honest, like raw emotion from people writing out what they really think. God, I'm angry about this. God, I'm thinking this. And in the second of these prayers, the writer asks, why is it that so many peoples and nations rage against God as king? And the answer is, nobody wants one king. Nobody really wants one king. Unless, of course... It's them, right? Unless, of course, it's me. Democracy, on the other hand, literally means ruled by the people. Uh, With each vote, you have a little say. In a way, you get a little rule, a a little kingdom, if you will. Democracy limits the damage of what any one person, any one corrupt person can do. That's why it's so good. That's why we like it. It's really, it's really not the best thing. It's just the, the, the greatest of all evils, right? Uh, we limit the damage that one person can do. We recognize that no one can be fully trusted with rule. So each person is granted a little rule, if you will, to elect officials who themselves then rule over a little realm. And then someone else over a little realm, etc. And yet there's something we deeply respect something we even love about a president or a prime minister who who kind of rises as a singular figure to put to right what is wrong, right? Even if it's unpopular, they rise up, they say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to put to right what is wrong in society. I'm going to make it right. And even even as we say in one breath that we all want this little rule culminating in rule by the people because each of us has corruption inside ourselves, We simultaneously recognize our powerlessness, and we wish one king, one voice that we could simply listen to and follow inside of us. I I have a friend uh, who knew that I loved him, that I cared about him, I always had his back. So each Sunday morning, he was in my church, each Sunday morning he would say, hey, Ryan, just kind of like break it down for me and tell me what I need to do. All right, I want to follow God, I I trust you, man, just just tell me what I got to do. And in a way, that's right. I want someone who I knows has my back and would just tell me what to do. <laughs> tell me what's right so I can follow that. The big story of the Bible says that God has always reigned. He's always reigned up in the heavens over the earth. But, but such beyondness, I think, has always caused us to relegate God as king to some kind of distant fairy tale or fantasy. Such a king is not possible in this world. It's only, it's only some world beyond this world where that's got to be possible. That's why we read about it right, in children's books and things like that. Until Jesus of Nazareth speaks these words that Dave read for us this morning. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The royal fairy tale speaks and he wears sandals. It's amazing. And this importance of God announcing himself as king, bringing the kingdom, is so important. Only two verses, we're going to spend a whole morning talking about it. If you've ever been burned in your life by someone in charge telling you what to do, and you still find yourself maybe saying to no one in particular, I wish I could find someone who I could just trust, and they would let me know the right thing to do in life. 
Well, the words of Jesus then are for you this morning. Someone you can trust who wants to tell you how to live life. And he's going to tell you in these words a little bit about the kingdom, how to join God's kingdom, and finally he's going to hint at how we can partner with him in advancing God's kingdom. All right, so first we're going to talk about God's kingdom defined. Because in these words, Jesus starts to define the kingdom. Even in these two little verses, they can help us towards a right understanding of this very big concept Jesus is going to talk about throughout the book of Mark, which we're going to talk about for this whole next year, what God's kingdom is. So the first thing we learn in these little words is that God's kingdom arrives at just the right time. Right? He says, the time is fulfilled. And the reason it's just the right time is because people were, first of all, desperate to hear from God. As I mentioned last week, God's people had endured his version of the silent treatment, his version of being ghosted, for like 500 years, five centuries. It's not unusual for God's long patience to, to wear, to finally eventually get kind of upset with his people, because like us, God's people, they would kind of drift. They'd kind of do their own thing after time. Every time that would happen, they would drift. Even at the worst of times, God would send a prophet to remind them, hey, here's why you're getting punished. Here's why returning to God has so many benefits. Here's why God hasn't given up on you. And then God's people would return. Well, one time they did this, and God didn't send a prophet. He didn't speak to them. 500 years passed. He really wanted humanity to repeatedly over multiple generations, experience of what life was like, not hearing a word from him, and just to feel what that would be like. And it felt pretty awful. Along these same lines, God's people experienced all these generations of evidence of persistent failure, time and time again. All these kings for God's people would, would vow, put things finally right in society that were wrong, that were unjust, that were terrible. But eventually those same kings who maybe started off well, they'd be corrupted by wealth and by power. You had people, individual, regular people like you and me, who, who would vow to put the, put the wrong things right in their own individual lives, only to drift. You know, they, they, they'd get this blessing, they'd be taken care of by God, and this pattern started to emerge. You'd follow God, God would bless you. And you'd kind of like, after God would bless you, you'd kind of drift and do your own thing. And then, boom, God would say, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm going to punish you. All right? Because you've drifted. You've wandered from me. And then they would repeat, follow God, blessed. And they start to drift. This would happen over and over. You see the pattern? You know, multiple times. So God's people had all this evidence. Oh, yeah, there is something wrong inside of us. Finally, it was the right time in history. God's kingdom arrives during an unprecedented time of wealth and of peace in history. I won't repeat all the details from last week, but basically, there was peace and wealth throughout Palestine for the first time pretty much ever, and it kind of happened in history too for the first time ever. The Roman Empire, frankly, the whole known world, it was the first time in history you saw this peace and an abundance of wealth uh, through the Emperor Octavius and uh, Julius had just come through, whatever, it doesn't really matter, but it wouldn't last this time of peace and prosperity for more than 50 years. And that's all that was needed. We're told that Jesus came into Galilee to tell people about God's kingdom. Well, Galilean people like Jesus, they grew up eating well in a time of peace. They had abundance of grain, of olives, of sheep. 
Here's my point. When you're not struggling like people, and all of history had done up to the time Jesus came, if you're not struggling just to survive people coming and invading your territories, just to survive eating the next thing and not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, if you finally can take a deep breath and relax, then you can listen about the deeper things of life, like what's your purpose, God? What's the meaning to this life? What does afterlife look like? Bold claims like the ones Jesus would make, people could finally take a deep breath and listen to. So that's why we see this here, that God's kingdom comes at just the right time. We also learn about the kingdom, that the king has come to right every wrong. The king has come to right every wrong, beginning with me. Beginning with me. So the royal fairy tale for which we all long, he wears sandals and he writes wrongs. It's no coincidence that for the rest of the first chapter of Mark's gospel that we're going to read, we see all these things, all these wrongs getting righted. We see a man who's psychologically and spiritually disturbed. He's made well. We see those who are ill, who are sick, who are oppressed. They are unburdened and they're healed. We see a man who's lived his life marginalized from the rest of society. He's restored to society all by King Jesus. Wrongs are made right. In the 1994 Disney film, The Lion King, a king named Mufasa shows the, the vast expanse of all the pride lands to his young son Simba. And as he does so, he says, Son, our kingdom is wherever the light hits. Our kingdom is wherever. So as the sun looked out, he saw these patches of light everywhere until he couldn't see it any longer. And that's exactly right. The light of the invisible spiritual kingdom of God is broken through with Jesus and continues to break through. And there are all these patches of light we see in what's often an otherwise dark world. And they can arrive anytime, any place to right what is wrong in this world. But friends, that begins with you and me. Well, how do I know this? Well, Jesus says it in this passage through the word gospel. A gospel is repeated two times in two verses. Jesus continuously proclaimed the gospel, which simply means the good news message. And you say, well, Ryan, that doesn't sound like anything wrong with me. That sounds, that sounds wonderful. Well, unfortunately, the good news message also starts with something hard. It says something hard, that there's something wrong in you and me, that there's something broken in each of us. Let me give you a quick summary of what this good news message was and is. The good news begins with God, our creator, who was and is so full of love that that love overflowed into the creation of human beings like you and me. People that God called to love him back with all of who they are, to love their neighbor as much as they love themselves. But sadly, the first human beings chose to love self over God, to love other things more than they love their neighbor, which is a sad and tragic pattern that continues to this day, showing that we're all broken. We love, other, other, we love self more than God. We love other things more than people. That shows that something is broken inside of us, and every human being begins life separated from God and broken. But God didn't let his, let his love for humanity sort of flicker out. He said at just the right time, he sent his son to live the perfect life of love that you and I just couldn't live up to, and then to die the death out of love, to die a death we deserved. And then 
God raised him from the dead to, to prove that all promises of love were true, that, that we could be put forever into a right relationship with God. And a promise was true that my will, my character, my heart would be continually made more right until one day it's made perfect, until one day I'm made perfect. And that's wonderful news, but as is clear from any of you who know me, and many of you do, I am not perfect. <laughs> I am not there yet. I am not finished. And that leads us to the third thing I want to say here. That God's kingdom is at hand. We learn here in this, this verse is that God's kingdom is at hand, but it's not yet finished. It's not yet finished. It's at hand, not yet finished. A, a number of you are familiar with U.S. history. You'll know this. Um, Normandy, the Normandy invasion of 1944. That Normandy invasion from the U.S. military is, is known as D-Day, right? It was, it was the date that World War II was effectively decided, so it is called D-Day. But it is not, the war did not end on that day. Victory Day, V-Day, wasn't declared until a year later. In between, you had mop-up duty. And that is a, a wonderful illustration of the timing, how we can understand the kingdom of God. King Jesus' arrival and defeat of death came through his life, his death, his resurrection, and that is our D-Day. Evil was decisively defeated, and yet we have mop-up duty now until the day he returns, until V-Day happens. So we strive to advance God so that more light will continue to break through in this world until the dawn arrives and everything in this world is light. But until V-Day comes... We wait. When I was a kid, uh, I got this wonderful toy I remember for Christmas. It was this, this, this toy called Light Bright. And here's, by the way, I, I just want to, so I decided this week, instead of describing all this to you, I just give you a little window into my childhood, maybe some of yours. So here we go. Here's what happened with Light Bright. We can lower it. Light Bright, Light Bright, turn on the magic of colored lights. Light Bright, Light Bright, make a face to glow at night. Pop in the colored pegs and follow the patterns. It's easy to make your favorite pictures and characters, or you can always create your own light pictures. Light bright, light bright, turn on the magic of shining light. Light bright from Milton Bradley. First of all, I want to say um, I'm so glad for technology. We can barely see that video. I understand that from the 1980s. Number two, did you notice the fine print? Light bulb not included. Accessories not included. Milton Bradley made a killing off this toy. When it was first uh, released in the 1970s, it went for uh, $7.98. You know how much that money that was in the 70s? $8 for a box and a piece of paper? It was highway robbery. <laughs> but they, so, you, so basically, the customer had to supply the 25-watt watt halogen light. It was covered, you were covered by a black sheet of construction paper, and the only way to reveal the light that was behind it was through this, uh, a peg you would poke through, uh, poke through a sheet of paper. And to me, but that, when that came through, when that colored light came through that sheet of paper, it was so beautiful. It was so pretty, and all my, I mean, it, was, it was awesome. To me, light bright is an ideal illustration of how God's kingdom works today. The light of God's kingdom is always on the other side of an otherwise thin veil, ready to break through at any moment. It is ready to break through at any moment. Whenever someone 
submits to King Jesus, they are made right with their creator, and light breaks through, a patch of that light. Whenever justice arrives, someone who's never received any, light breaks through. Whenever the sick are healed, whenever forgiveness triumphs over hate, whenever a family breaks out of a systemic cycle of poverty, God's kingdom shows itself. A little patch of light comes through an otherwise dark veil into our world, and they are God's glimpses of his kingdom come into our world today. So when we ask the question, what, where, when is God's kingdom, this is the summary. God's kingdom is at hand when and wherever King Jesus rights wrongs. God's kingdom is at hand where and whenever King Jesus rights a wrong, whenever he brings light into this world, and that patch of light just shines through what otherwise is darkness. So that is God's kingdom defined. But also in these words, we get encouragement to join God's kingdom. How do we join God's kingdom? By writing what's wrong in you and writing what's wrong in me. That's why Jesus says to repent here and trust in the gospel. Repent is just a, a fancy religious word that means to turn from what hasn't worked in your life. To turn from what hasn't worked in your life. For some of us, that means turning from a life of self-indulgence, right? We think self-pleasure, pleasure will make me whole, will make me full, will satisfy me, only to see diminishing returns the more we try to please ourselves. For others, it means turning from a life where we put family even above God, family number one, only to find that others, even our, our, our parents, our, our, our spouse, our kids, they let us down. Our spouse, our kids can't actually fulfill the fairy tale promise for which we all long. They can't, we, we think they will. We think they're the ones that make us whole, right? Jerry Maguire, it's going to happen. It's going to make me whole again, and it doesn't. It's a fairy tale that doesn't come true. And for others, it's finding our self-worth and being a good person, right? And being a better person, only to find out that we've gone full of pride, full of judgment. We look down on others for not being as good as now we are. And Jesus is saying, turn from what has ultimately failed in making you right and making you a whole person. And instead, trust the good news about me. Trust the good news about Jesus. And, and as we, as we get continue through the months to, to look at Jesus' life, and he, sees, he spends his life making other people's life better, how he spends his life loving in the midst of hate, self-giving instead of self-preservation, putting to right what is wrong, we realize this is what human life is supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be. Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died a death we reserve, deserve to make us right with God and, and put right what's broken in us. There's no other obligation. There's no other deed. There's no other special right or ritual you have to do. You just simply have to trust Jesus, and you're in the kingdom. Trust that he is who, who we know deep down we were always supposed to be. He is the king worth following. He is the one I'm most confident really has my back and that I can trust to tell me to do what's right and to tell me what to do next. His is the royal fairy tale wearing sandals. Join his kingdom. And finally, we see in his words this morning, we're encouraged to advance his kingdom, to advance God's kingdom. 
The goal was to do this with Jesus. That more people, that more institutions would, would trust him. Just as Jesus proclaimed the gospel, that, that we could partner with him in, in sharing the good news with our words, but also with our lives. So at, at PCC, we strongly believe that with this generation, the church must go out. That we must go to others and not ask others to come to us. Like, we can't be a church that says, come into our four walls and under this roof, like, come to us. No, 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 no. We've got to be a church with this generation that says, we're going to go to you. We're going to meet you where you're at. We're going to love you where you're at. That is a huge part of our vision at PCC. And we won't be the church that says, come to us, but no, we will go to you. And that more and more people will be part of advancing the kingdom in this particular way. That's why one of our missional families, one of our fams, we call them, one of our fans, they're doing this today. They've collected some cornhole boards, you know, that game with beanbags, cornhole boards, including mine, which I've asked them to be very careful with. Uh, they've collected some cornhole boards. They're going to make some food, and they're going to others. They're going to a local park to embody, to live, to speak the good news to others because we are in an advancing kingdom, not one that asks people just to come to us. Well, where does people, where, where does God typically advance his kingdom? We're told in this passage, you'll find out here in a minute, that he typically advances his kingdom amongst the least likely people and places. Well, where do we see that? We're told this when Mark says Jesus came into Galilee. Not only does he come into Galilee with his good news message, but he spends most of his kingdom ministry. It was administered not in the most likely place. The most likely place for Jesus to go would have been to the religious centers of Judea and Jerusalem, right? You've heard of these places. That's where the temple is. That's where all the religious people... Galilee, though, it's, it's up in the boondocks. It's in the northernmost part of Israel, as you'll see up here on this map. Galilee was considered a buffer, friends. It was usually the first area to be raided by the northernmost invaders into Israel. And so people were like, fine, go to Galilee. Spend your life there. Uh, if you go there, you're pretty much expendable. And that's how people were viewed in this area of Israel. They were viewed as expendable people. Backwater backwards kind of place, inhabited by the uneducated, the quote-unquote simple, the least likely to understand all this religious stuff. And yet Jesus spends the vast majority of his life and ministry in Galilee. Unlikely place, unlikely people. For years I served in this fantastic ministry uh, called Young Life, a ministry called Young Life, whose aim was to love unchurched teenagers for Jesus. And it was, it was wonderful. Usually what happened is, uh, each leader, uh, most, most Young Life leaders were, were college students, and each college student would be assigned to a local high school. And so I, I would go to his particular high school, and that was a sense, my mission field, I would go to these kids and try to love them with the good news and advance the kingdom. But one of the off-spoken strategies for advancing the kingdom in each school was to target the popular kids and win them to Christ. Hopefully they would receive the good news. Why? Because they already had influence. They already had, quote-unquote, potential. I wonder if you ever catch yourself doing that, thinking that way. Right? Imagine if, if our principal, our mayor, uh, this great athlete of my favorite team, right, uh, this friend of mine 
who everyone seems to love. Imagine if they were one to the good news about Jesus and they believed it and received it themselves and they were, they were a new citizen in God's kingdom. So I want you to do me a favor. Close your eyes for a minute. A little exercise here. Close your eyes and imagine the first two or three people who come to mind as having the greatest potential for the kingdom. Sorry, in your mind's eye, the first two or three people who come to mind would have the greatest potential in God's kingdom. Hopefully a couple faces flash before your eyes. Now keep your eyes closed. Here's what I want you to do. Now replace those people you just thought of with the last two or three people you can imagine having potential for God's kingdom. All right? For a moment, I'm letting you go there, all right? Imagine in your mind's eye. Don't tell people this. Right? It might be someone sitting next to you. That would be embarrassing. Who are the last two people you can imagine having an impact for God's kingdom? Now open your eyes. They, friends, are who God consistently chooses to do his greatest work for the kingdom. Those last two or three people, those are the ones God has chosen consistently in the Bible throughout history. I want to encourage you, that's who Jesus went to. Go to them. Go to them. They need to hear good news, most likely. What does that require of you and me? What does advancing God's kingdom require? It requires risk. R-I-S-K, risk. There is no mincing words about that. Loving the least likely people with the good news means you and I are going to get hurt more often than not. We're going to get hurt. And friends, that, that is hard. There's one, one phrase in this passage we haven't covered yet. And it seems like a, an aside or kind of a throwaway, but it's not. Mark tells us that, that Jesus goes up to Galilee, quote, after John the Baptist was handed over. Did you notice that? This is a short detail. After John the Baptist was handed over, some translation says after John the Baptist was arrested. Well, 11 times in, Mark, in Mark's gospel, that same phrase, handed over, was used of Jesus and is used of Jesus. Mark foreshadows what's required of Jesus to advance God's kingdom. He will be handed over. He will be handed over. He was handed over. He's foreshadowing it. He's saying, if you want to be part of advancing God's kingdom, Jesus must risk putting himself into the hands that might receive him. They might welcome him. They might embrace him or into hands that might dismiss, mock, even hurt him. And in a nutshell this morning, here's how I sense God is calling us then to respond to his word this morning. We have to take a similar risk. Risk, living like God's kingdom, can break through any time, any place to right some wrong. Let me say that again. Risk, living like God's kingdom, can break through any time, any place to right some wrong around you. Something you can point your finger at and say, I know there's something wrong here, and I want God's kingdom to break through. Well, guess what? It can. Have that conversation. Offer that help. Uh, share that hurt. Be vulnerable with others. Take that risk. Remember Light Bright. If nothing else comes to mind this morning that you forget, remember that image of the, that toy Light Bright. Light Bright, Light Bright, turn on the magic of shining light. Look, light was described to these kids 
as being a kind of magic, breaking through for them to see. The light of God's kingdom, friends, is just on the other side of an otherwise thin veil. That is the nearness of God's kingdom. There's a thin veil between this world that we can see, that we can touch, that we can smell, and God's kingdom just on the other side. Right? At any moment, the light can break through. The light of the king can can punch through, can break through to right some wrong. Let's you and I risk living like that's true. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for bringing news of the kingdom. We want to thank you for bringing it as a human being in sandals, showing us that you are someone we can trust and are worth following as king. Help more people see you for who you are and your good news message. May it be further trusted. And even this morning, people would turn from what hasn't been working and turn to what might so that what's broken inside of them may be put right this morning. Just as you've done for me, Jesus, I so thank you for that. And help more of us be part of advancing your kingdom and really believe that at any moment, your light, the light of the king, can punch through, break through, and right some wrong that's right in front of us. Help us risk our lives living like that's true. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.